Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, broadcasting live every Thursday, 6 to 8 p.m. Central, from Panama City Beach, Florida, home of the world's most beautiful beaches. I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone for joining me on my weekly broadcast. Every week, I'll feature some of the best instructors, coaches, authors, and entrepreneurs in the golf business today. I begin with a great discussion on Coach's Corner, followed by an insightful interview with my special guest. So let's get started by introducing tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right, good evening, everybody, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico. And as always, we've got a great show for you tonight. We're going to actually have a special Coach's Corner tonight. Uh, joining me is going to be my good friend, John Decker, and I'll introduce you to him in just a moment. And then a little bit later on, uh, PJ professional uh, Richard Zokel from uh, Canada, a Canadian professional, is going to be joining me. Uh, he is also, uh, in addition to being a, uh, a tour player, uh, he was the, uh, is the founder and developer of MindTrack Golf, which is a mobile app, uh, all centered around the mental part of the game. And uh, we'll talk to him about that on the second half of the show. So I'm really, really excited uh, to have him uh, on the show a little bit later on. And uh, also let me remind everybody that Golf Talk Live is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing top quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And of course, Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instructional magazine, offering insightful reviews on the latest equipment, Tips from top PGA and LPGA tee professionals, all designed to help improve your game from tee to green. So subscribe today, visit golftipsmag.com, and start your subscription now. All right, as I mentioned, we're going to be starting off with a special uh, Coach's Corner tonight. Uh, this uh, first day of October, we're already moving into uh, fall, and, and uh, i got to be honest, it's a little cooler here in Florida right now than it has been for uh, a few months, and uh, I can start to feel a little bit of that cool breeze coming. So let me uh, introduce my very special guest panelist tonight, uh, John Decker. He is a PJ instructor and a motivational speaker. Uh, he's also a senior editor and a top 25 instructor uh, with Golf Tips Magazine. Uh, he was also the 2015 Southern Ohio Teacher of the Year. Uh, prior uh, to that, he was uh, a head instructor at the Grand Cypress uh, Academy of Golf, where he worked under top 100 instructors Fred Griffin and, of course, the late Phil Rogers. And he's also an author. Uh, his book is uh, Golf is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game, which, of course, has a uh, Bible study that goes with it. So you want to check that out, and we'll tell you how a little bit later on. Um, John, welcome to uh, Coach's Corner here on Golf Talk Live. Well, thank you, Ted, for having me. I'm really looking forward to uh, tonight's discussion. All right. Well, we decided to do something a little bit different um, we're going to talk about, you know, what's sort of currently happening in the golf industry right now. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, we're also going to talk about, John, how you've utilized uh, some of the technology that's out there, um, particularly how you've used it in the past and, and how you've sort of transitioned to some of the more modern technology and, and what you're doing to benefit your students there. And then we're going to also uh, give the folks out there maybe a few tips on how to actually hire your own golf instructor. If you're wanting to work with an instructor or a coach out there, uh, there's some lessons or tips, if you will, on how to pick the right one for you. Uh, and then we're going to talk a, a little bit about um, maybe some of the oppor opportunities that the masters might have 
uh, later uh, in uh, actually about a little over a month's time. And then we'll talk about some other things as well as we move along. So let's talk about the first thing here, John, and that is, um, you know, you really can't get away from it. COVID has, uh, you know, been with us now for, for several months, almost a half a year, um, you know, uh, according to uh, uh, many of the reports out there. And it's affected our lives in so many ways, and not just here in the United States, but globally. How has the uh, COVID pandemic in your opinion, uh, some of the ways that it's changed the golf business? Well, Ted, you know, when, when the pandemic originally um, hit in, in the United States, and, and we're talking, you know, February, March, um, I was, um, you know, I'm here in Ohio. I'm not, I, don't, I do not do a lot of teaching uh, during January and February. Obviously, I do have a facility where I can do some teaching, but um, it, that's just not a typical time when people take a lot of lessons. And so I was teaching and I was gearing up, as always, for, you know, March and April and, and May in the spring when, you know, kind of when the Masters hits, that's when kind of everything gets really busy up here in the north. And um, when the pandemic hit and all of a sudden the facility I work at uh, closed, had to close, and then um, when it uh, uh, did reopen, we were not allowed to teach lessons because of the close, you know, stay in the social distancing and all that. Um, I was really nervous about the golf business. I, um, mm -hmm. I, in fact, I t had to take a second job, which I've been doing uh, to help offset some of the loss of income that I get during the winter months when I slow down. So I had to ramp that up, which was unexpected. And I was you know, thankful to be, to have a, a, something to fall back on, but I really started worrying about my gosh, golf, you know, this year may just be a complete wash. Um, and I mm -hmm. talked to, you know, a lot of um, other PGA professionals and, and uh, whether they were teachers or golf professionals, and we were all like, we didn't know what was going to happen. We, in fact, I did some with the PGA of America. Um, I did uh, actually was part of a zoom conference for the teachers of the year. And we were talking about, you know, the people like out in Hawaii, how, how they were just devastated. I mean, they'd lost with the tourism and, and it was really kind of a, almost a little bit of a gloom and doom for the business. Um, you know, going into April, you know, no masters and, and everything that was going on in the country and getting into May, um, I didn't teach any lessons during March, April, and May, and that is unheard of for me. Um, and then when we got to June, our facility, finally, we were allowed to, um, you know, in this very state to state, depending on where you live, but in Ohio, we were finally allowed to, to do some teaching and I started teaching. And then July and August hit in September, and I can't believe the number of people who are out playing golf. Uh, golf, um, you know, and I think a lot of it had to do with the PGA Tour staying relevant and staying out there and being able to be a socially distanced sport where people could go out, you know, could watch it on television. It got people excited. Um, but I think that people were just so yearning to get outside because they've been so cooped up you know, stay at home, doing their work at home and all this stuff, that when they had the opportunity to, to do something, um, the, the lessons, you know, golf was just a natural transition. And my lesson book went, just went crazy. I've talked to so many other golf professionals who, and, and at clubs and, and their business has been booming. And it's really awesome to see it's, uh, of course, no one wanted this to happen to a pandemic. And, for all those out there that are suffering, uh, their businesses are suffering, um, you know, I, I totally feel for you. 
Um, but, but golf, um, and we all, if you're listening to this show, we know that you love the game. Golf has a resurgence right now. And I think it, um, and I hope that the momentum of this will, people will get hooked on the game and people will, will want to keep playing. And I hope that it just, you know, springboards the game itself. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, and let me just add uh, a little bit just for, for some of the maybe newer listeners to the program that aren't familiar with, with um, some of the things that happened. Um, you know, early on when the pandemic first uh, happened, as you mentioned earlier in the year, uh, you know, a decision came. Many businesses were shut down. And one of the things that happened in the golf industry, of course, was all of the tours uh, shut down very abruptly. Um, in fact, uh, on the PGA, they were in the middle of a, a tournament uh, and they actually, uh, it came to a screeching halt. They decided not to continue on. And many of the other tours, uh, the LPJ and uh, Symmetra Tour on the ladies' side and others, uh, again, abruptly came to a halt and, and basically either canceled or postponed uh, many of their events. So there was a lot of uncertainty, John, as you pointed out, and definitely uh, very unclear as to what was going to happen. Um, and it certainly has been a big relief for the industry uh, once things started to to sort of reopen and and you know again we certainly understand um, you know so many industries the restaurant industry um, you know movies and and other uh, industries that have not been as as fortunate as the golf industry we certainly you know we understand and and uh, you know we're we're certainly praying for you folks that uh, that things. Uh, open back up quickly for you, and, and uh, hopefully you'll be able to uh, uh, get back to some sort of sense of normalcy. But, you know, one of the things that has really happened, and John, I know through our conversations over the last several months that we've talked about uh, privately and, and, and on the show a little bit, and some of the other uh, folks that have been on here, some of our fellow professionals, um, they've certainly experienced an uptick. Uh, golf kind of has a built-in social distancing uh you know factor right into the game i mean you, you know you're not uh you're not really up close with everybody i mean you're certainly uh sharing golf carts in the past but they've actually uh created a scenario where everybody gets their own golf cart so you're not even doing that anymore so golf lent itself to um the ability to take advantage uh, of some of the protocols um um that were normal to the really the golf industry already so that's why golf was was able to rebound a little bit better. And obviously, in recent months, the tours have started uh, kicking back up. Some events, as I mentioned, uh, may have been canceled or put off till next year. Some events that were uh, had enough notice were able to uh, to move up in that. So, have you noticed if you were to sort of put a percentage, John, together of students that have come forth, what percentage of your students that you're working with do you think this year? Um, are brand new to the game entirely, um, what would you estimate um, some of the new students or people that have reached out to you that are interested, expressed an interest, that maybe have not played before, um, what percentage do you think would be uh, in that category? It would. What's interesting is, is what I'm excited about is I've gotten a, a lot of new students um, because they right. have – they, they have just flat out come out. Maybe they do play. Maybe they don't have played in the past. But and, and the ins, other instructors at the facility I work at, it's a public facility, so we have a lot of people who walk through the doors, and uh, people are signing up for lessons left and right. And I am, I am getting. Um, if I had to put a percentage on it, I would say a good 
probably 25%, 25 to 30% of my business this year has come from students that I didn't even know uh, in January that, that, are all, that are all new students. And that is what's so encouraging uh, for me because, um, and for the other instructors as well, because when you get someone that's new, you know, they're, they're, they're there because they want to learn the game. And we all know that you cannot learn the game in one lesson. It takes many years and many lessons just to get to where you can do it proficiently. So um, it's really encouraging. And, and I, um, I haven't had, um, was strangely enough is all of these new students that I've had, I haven't had really any of them who are completely brand new to the game but all of them are what i would consider high handicappers or people who who you know had kind of given up on the game in the past and they were like you know what mm -hmm. i think i'm going to get the clubs back out so i'm getting a lot of that personally yeah i think it's been good overall you're exactly right i think there's you know there's certainly a percentage and i don't know what that is that you know it, it varies i'm sure from professional to professional there's some that have had uh, brand new students that have never played before others uh, maybe haven't played for many years and just decided you know what I want to get back out and this is an opportunity uh, to take advantage of one of the very few activities that we were able to do so you know it, it's certainly been a blessing in many ways uh, for the golf industry and also from from many of uh, the other professionals that I've spoken to over the last several months uh, they've also indicated uh, I know I talked with uh, uh, Alex Fisher who uh, works out the the uh, JW Marriott uh, Camelback out in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, talked about how they've seen a dramatic increase uh, in actually rounds being played uh, this year. Again, because in fact they're uh, you know as we joke in the industry, their dance card is has been pretty full this year, um, and and going to be even more so as we move into uh, some of the. Uh, uh, fall season, as many snowbirds and whatnot flock out to some of the warmer climates. So uh, they've certainly seen uh, many of the golf courses has seen a substantial uptick in rounds being played uh, in addition to, you know, lessons uh, being taken. So uh, all the way around, I think it's done good. And, you know, the, the events certainly have um, have been missing for a lot of the season, and it's been very hard, I know, at times to, uh, you know, to kind of get into the swing of things with the golf season uh, as far as watching tournaments go, because it, you know, it was very unclear for a while what was going to happen, and we're going to talk about the Masters uh, here in a little bit. Um, let's move on, if we can, uh, John. I want to talk about technology a little bit. Um, you know, the use of video cameras sort of came about, uh, you know, probably a couple of decades ago. Uh, we started seeing uh, with some of the early camcorders and and so forth, and many professionals started using that. and And basically, what they were doing is they were videotaping their students' swing and uh, how they uh, played and so forth, and then use that as, as a teaching tool at some point. And then there's obviously been some other technology that's come along the way. When did you first start introducing some of that video technology into um, what you're doing, uh, number one, and uh, also your actual use of video from an instructional standpoint? Well, originally, um, when I first started using video was when I first started at Grand Cypress, and that was in 1992. Now, the first year or so I worked there, I was doing a lot of grunt work. I was picking the range and, and doing a lot of uh, media, you know, and I, I had a, a few clinics that I would, you know, I got to do some introductory clinics and stuff like that. But then as I got certified and I got into the PGA of America apprentice program and went through that, 
and started actually teaching. Uh, we're talking about the, the mid to early 90s is when I first got involved with that. And, and I can tell you as a new instructor, um, you know, the, it was a nice security blanket to be able to, because, you know, when you're looking at the golf swing with the naked eye and you're learning and you're, you're maybe only a year's amount of experience of teaching, so we all have to start at some time. No one is born a great teacher. You have to learn to be a great teacher. And so as I was watching uh, the swing with my eyes and then as I would watch it with video, it became apparent, wow, it's a lot easier with video because I can stop it and I can really, you know, draw lines and I can do all these things. And, and we had a lot of the, we had all the latest technology during that time and, and, and uh, um, compared to what's out there now. So we had, we were way ahead of our time as far as technology goes. So I got to learn the blueprint of the golf swing using the the swing model technology that we were using and then using the video technology as well. And so I had a really good blueprint of what the golf swing looked like. But the problem was is I relied on it too much when I first got started. And I would go through and I had the tendency uh, during a lesson to explain every kind of nuance of the golf swing to the student. Now, in my mind, I Mm -hmm. thought I was doing them a service, but in reality what I was doing was probably making them um, just their mind, they were probably overwhelmed. Um, and so, um, as I got, as I became more experienced as a teacher, I started paying attention much more to the ball flight. I didn't need the video, but my eye could pick it up. The ball told me everything I needed. So I would watch the ball flight, but I used the video because the ball flight's not going to, going to really help the, I mean, the student knows whether they hit a good shot or a bad shot, but they want to see it on the video. So the video became more about them than it did me. And then as I got working with better players, tour players, the video again would help me because tour players all look like they have great swing. And then when you slow them down, you start seeing, okay, well, here's some areas where they're, they're not, you know, maybe being uh, not as efficient. Um, but right. as I've got, as I've developed even more and more as a teacher, now what I do is I video, I still use video because I believe video is a great way to teach. It's great for the student. And, the, and it's all about the student more than, you know, when they come out of that lesson. But what I do now is, is I video their swing. I will briefly show them their swing, no more than a minute. I'll just go through and point out one or two things that I want to work on. And then I put the video away and I work with them. Mm-hmm. After the lesson, I then do a recap. Um, the V1 app, which is what I use, allows me to go in and I can have up to five minutes and I can draw lines. I give them a thorough synopsis of what they need to work on and I can compare them to other players if I want to, like tour players. I can do whatever I want and then I email them to them, to the students. And I've gotten more positive feedback from emailing the, the lesson to the student after so in essence, the video is their homework. It's not done during the lesson. I started realizing right. that when you're working with the physical body and the mind at the same time, it can get very confusing in a one-hour or 30-minute time frame. I started realizing, you know what, I want to work on their body while they're here. You know, I'm going to work on the mechanics of the swing. I'm going to work on the drills work on whatever it is, and then the homework will be the video and the recap, and they can digest it when they get away from the golf course, when they're at home sitting there looking at their computer. Then they can, they just, they can digest it, and I think it makes a much better impact, and it's really it changed the way I now teach. 
Well, and, and you're exactly right. And, you know, one of the things, John, that – and I agree 100 percent with you. I think that one of the mistakes very early on that many professionals uh, have made is doing just what you did in the beginning, and that is – you know, they got too entrenched in, in the technology and, and getting, you know, giving too much information up front to the point that by the time the, you know, whether it's a 30-minute lesson or an hour lesson, by the time the student was done, they were so emotionally and physically uh, and mentally exhausted um, by taking in so much information and doing so much that by the time they went home, it's like, you know, I don't, I don't want to even look at this anymore. Um, and they need it. They need a sort of a down or a cooling off period. It's a, it's almost like going to the store and you, you, you know, you're shopping and you're buying something that you really are excited about. And then you kind of get home and you've had a chance to cool down and assess things say, well, do I really need that? Or, or, you know, let me rethink my, my purchase. So I agree with you. I think that you need to, to use the video equipment to uh, capture what the student is doing, point out the areas that, that need to be worked on. And then, Work on those those areas uh, throughout your your lesson, and then give them uh, at a later point as, as you do a more thorough review. When they're relaxed, maybe they're having a, a, a cup of coffee or they're having uh, you know whatever back home, they can review those videos and that information um, in a more relaxed and comfortable. And also too, it, it allows them to look at it at their own pace. One of the problems, and I think you would agree with this, that a lot of students say is especially if they're working with somebody new, they're not really familiar, they're a little bit gun-shy. They don't know sometimes the questions to ask. They, they, you know, they can't think of a question or something at the time um, when they're reviewing it with their instructor. And a lot of times it isn't until after they get home and think, oh, gosh, I wish I had asked them this. So this gives them a chance to absorb everything that happened in the day um, through that lesson. They get your feedback, and now they get a chance to kind of compile their thoughts so that they can either respond back and say, you know, I had some questions here or – I'm not clear on what you meant here, so on and so forth, in a more relaxed environment. And I think overall it makes for a much better and happier uh, student. Uh, wouldn't you agree? I, could, I couldn't agree more. And I think that uh, you're exactly right, Ted. And, and um, I see so many young teachers um, that, that are coming up now who are just enthralled with the, the launch monitors and, and all that stuff. And, and, and I think that data is great. I think the launch monitors, for example, are yep. great. For, they're great for fitting clubs. There's nothing better. I mean, it's just, hey, this club gives you this club head speed and this club gives you this club head speed. So, uh, or, and, you know, shaft analysis, it's great. But the problem that I see is, is they use those numbers just throughout the whole lesson. And the, the numbers are just a measurement for a point in time more than anything. Because my goal is, okay, if you have a slow swing club head speed, I don't need to tell the student, you know, 17 times during the lesson that their club head speed is slow if I've already established that early on in the lesson. My job is to get their right. club head speed faster. So I want to work on getting their club head speed faster, not beating them down, telling them that their club head speed is slow. They already know that. So if they want more distance, obviously they've got to have higher club head speed. We all, you know, would agree with that. So I'm just, I, I think that technology is great. I think that it needs to be mm -hmm. used in small amounts. And you need to think of technology just like a plumber or a carpenter who has a toolbox. It is a tool that you will use or you may not use. When, when a plumber comes to your house, he doesn't pull out every single tool that he has. He has one or two, whatever it is that he needs. And, and you have to assess that, and that's experience. You know, when you work with a student, some, some people are really going to like technology, 
and some students are not going to want uh, or are not going to like technology. So it's important that you you gather that information and know your student. And the only way you'll really know your student is by asking questions. Yeah, exactly. And I think that leads us into our next point that we want to talk about, and and that is really some tips on how to take a lesson number one, and what to look for in an instructor. So let's talk about. So for some of those new students, um, there's obviously ways that, uh, that the folks can connect, and we can talk about some of those. Um, but uh, what should a student, first off, if, if somebody's new to the game and they want to get out there and take lessons, what should they be looking for in their instructor? And then let's talk about some tips on actually how they should take a lesson. Because it's not just a matter of showing up uh, in the parking lot with your golf clubs and, and you know, standing out on the practice tee. Uh, you have to do your part as well as the instructor and coach. So let's talk about what should we lo- look for when picking an instructor and then what we can do to help make the lesson more successful as a student. Well, there's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, picking the instructor um, is a little bit, you know, you may shop around a little bit um, because I think it's very important that you um, have a good camaraderie with your instructor from the beginning. And my, I believe so because you want to find someone who is um, is going to service the needs that you have. And for the for the new player, um, one of the big mistakes that a lot of, of new players uh, think, uh, and when they sometimes when they're you know asking me for a lesson, is they assume that I only work with really good players, and um, you know the, they feel like well the more prestigious teachers in at the club or in that area, they're only going to work with the new players. No, I work with beginners every day beginners are are the lifeblood of 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 being a teacher and and teachers are always you know should be and encouraging beginners to come take lessons with them because that's that's how you develop a a solid business in in, as far as i'm concerned so i think it's uh, one thing that i would suggest that you do is if if you're new to get to the game is you ask friends family members, anyone who that you know that are golfers, you know, who are you taking lessons with? That's, that's, what, that's a good way to, to kind of find someone that you feel like is going to fit with you. A lot of women like to take, instruct, uh, take their lessons with uh, female instructors. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But don't assume that just because if you are a woman, don't just assume that that's the, the only route you can go because there's a lot of men. I, I work with women all the time. I do a lot of women's clinics and 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 also if you're a male uh, and there's a female instructor don't assume that that female instructor only works with the kids or only works with the ladies groups um, you right. know because she might be the best instructor in the county so you know give yep. her a shot and you know and 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 kind of goes both ways as far as that goes um, so I think some of that is just you know who you get along with who you who you um, who's uh, style uh, kind of fits what you're looking for. Um, and then I think, you know, like this past week, I had a, stu- a new student, someone I'd never met. He called me up and, and I had no problem talking with him. We talked for about 10 or 15 minutes on the phone and he told me what he was, wor- what, what he was wanting to do, his goals. He told me, you know, where he was having problems. He also let me know that he was going to be playing in a tournament in a few weeks and wanted to kind of get ready for that. And I found that very helpful because I feel like the more information that I have as a teacher, the better I ha- better chance I have, better opportunity I have to service the needs of my student. Uh, so I think that that's very important that you give your instructor 
in especially in that first initial lesson as much information as possible now keep in mind you might say well i'm a new player i've never played before what information can i give them well there's a lot of information you can give them you can tell them about any surgeries that you may have had you can tell them about yep. experiences that you've had athletically you know do you play foot did you play football in high school or basketball or baseball or tennis uh, or were you not an athlete at all? The more information that, that a student will give me about their past uh, athletic ability, even if they're not a golfer, that helps me in preparing my presentation of how I'm going to present the information to them. Because if someone tells me, I play tennis, well, I have a lot of different ways that I can relate golf and tennis. Or if they tell me I played basketball, I have a lot of ways that I can relate basketball and golf. So I've been doing this for so long. There's very few sports. I've never played lacrosse, so I don't really relate well to that. But other than lacrosse and, and, and even soccer, which I didn't play, I can still relate soccer and golf and talk about uh, how the, there's some similarities in kicking a ball and hitting a golf ball. So it's important mm -hmm. that you give that, the instructor kind of a background of any uh, physical ailments that you may have, uh, any uh, goals that you might have, uh, you know, it might, your goal might be, I want to learn how to play golf so I can play with my husband, you know, on the weekend. That's a great goal to have. And I've had women that have told me that. And, um, or I want to be able to play with my kids because my kids are really into it and I want to be able to spend time with them. So those are the, that's the type of information that can be done in the first 10 or 10 minutes or so of the lesson that really help, you know, help the instructor. And as far as the lesson itself, one of the first things is you need to show up early. Not if you have a four o'clock lesson, you don't show up at four o'clock. The reason you show up early is it's ideal to get there and warm up because most of you are coming from work or coming from, you know, taking the kids all around town or whatever it is you're doing. And so you're not really maybe warmed up. Maybe you haven't even, you know, done anything athletic that day. So you need to get your muscles warmed up. Uh, and if you're a new player, ask your instructor to give you warm-up instructions, you know, things that you can do to warm up. That's another thing that you can, you can uh, have them do. And then if you're – let's say that you're not a beginner and that you're someone who is an, who's a, maybe an avid player, I think it's important that at the end of the lesson you ask the instructor. It's very important to ask the instructor, what is the root problem of what I need to work on? You know, what is the fundamental root problem of, my, of why I slice the ball or why I hook the ball? The second thing is, is you need to ask your instructor for at least one drill. I give every one of my students at least one drill for every lesson. And the drill is homework. That is your homework so that, you know, and I make sure they know how to do the drill before they leave. And then I tell them, you need to work on this drill. And then the next time I see you, then we'll go from there. And then the, the last thing, and this is really going back to the technology, this is one of my favorite things to do. And I would recommend, if you, even for those who are taking lessons on a regular basis with their, their local pro, is at the end of the lesson, you need, to hand, you need to get your phone out and you need to put it on video, and your instructor needs to give you a five-minute, three- to five-minute recap of the lesson, what you need to work on, uh, demonstrate anything, any training aids, whatever it is that they're telling you to do. And you need to have start a video library and have it on your phone so that when you go to the driving range and you practice it, you should be practicing, you can pull that out, you can watch that video, and guess what? 
you've now you're it's fresh on your mind you may you don't have to worry about forgetting you don't have to take notes those days are over why take notes when you can have it on video and you can have it right there in the palm of your hand right before you get ready to practice so those are some tips that hopefully will help the listeners out there yeah i think that's a great uh, uh some great points that you bring up and i, I think it's you know everybody's personality is different um you know, some instructors are going to work uh, better with, with some and, and not so much with the others. And that doesn't mean that they're not good instructors, but we all have diff- because we have different personalities, um, you know, we have different teaching styles. We have different uh, ways of communicating with people. And some are, are more, again, technology-driven and may require a, a professional who um, likes to, you know, speak the numbers, as it were, or, or likes to get into more, uh, you know, technical speak, if you will. So, you know, th- this is important. And you want to find out, too, um, you know, what their, um, what their abilities are. Are they, you know, have they been teaching very long? And that doesn't mean you shouldn't give some of the newer teachers. I'm not suggesting you don't. But as you pointed out, you know, early in your career, you know, you were still kind of getting your feet wet. And that's okay. Uh, sometimes that can be a good thing, too. If, if you've got a newer instructor, they're going to obviously understand uh, the core fundamentals and, and so forth. Um, but as they're learning and developing their skills, um, you can kind of go along for the ride as well. So it depends on where you're at and, and your abilities. And sometimes for a newer uh, student, that might even be, in some cases, a better route to go because it's less intimidating. Uh, if you're dealing with uh, you know, somebody that's been in the business 25, 30 years all the time and you're brand new to the game, sometimes that can be a little bit uh, daunting and overwhelming um, for some new students. So there's a lot of options out there for you to choose from, and I agree 100%. Uh, in your analogy, uh, just because you're a female or male doesn't mean you have to pick the same sex instructor. Sydney uh, Miller comes to mind. Uh, she's a great uh, uh, instructor who obviously happens to be a woman, and she teaches not only juniors and women, but she also teaches a lot of uh, men and very uh, talented men as well uh, and has been around the game for, for many, many years and, and draws from her uh, tour playing experiences um, uh, to help uh, a lot of the folks that she works with and has, a, has developed a very successful uh, teaching career as well as uh, uh, her playing career as well. So um, some great tips and some great pointers there for looking for uh, an instructor and also as a student uh, some ways that you can uh, get yourself involved to make sure it's a, a better experience. So let's talk about, we, we mentioned earlier on in the broadcast um, when we were talking about tournaments and we uh, brushed up against the Masters. Uh, and as you pointed out, and as most people that follow golf, the Masters typically is in early spring, in April is when we uh, think of the Masters. And this year, on, uh, it, it um, fortunately has not been canceled, but it is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be now in the first uh, week of November, uh, which is going to be very odd for a lot of people to uh, hear that the Masters is coming in November as opposed to its typical uh, weekend in um, or week rather in in April. Um, what do you think this is going to mean for the golf industry? What opportunities or what do you think it's going to do for the golf industry uh, having the Masters later in the season? Well, Ted, I am so excited about this. I I'm I actually did a little research today on it, um, and um, I am so excited about this moment uh, for for golf. And and here's the reason why. Because and I think a lot of this has to do kind of with the excitement every year with the Ryder Cup. I, I'm number one is I want to see how from I'm talking about the rating side here for a second. 
I am excited to see how the Masters, if a Tiger Woods or a Phil Mickelson is in contention on Sunday, the ratings versus the NFL on Sunday. I am going to be mm. so excited to actually see that because I've always thought that the Masters is is the probably one of the top premier events in uh, all of sports, and the NFL is obviously very popular. And to have the have the Masters Sunday going on the same time the NFL is is really going to be intriguing. I think it's going to. I really feel like if if you have a leaderboard and then the Masters always t- tends to have those those types of leaderboards, uh, I think that the, that it's going to hold up very well. As far as the tournament itself goes, a couple of things that the listeners out there need to understand. Number one is you're not going to see any azaleas. Uh, uh, that's one thing, and you're probably not going to see any patrons. From what I've I've read, there's not going to be uh, the the fans are not going to be at that event as well. Um, but th- that may change. I don't know. I, that was as of now. Uh, who knows with uh, who what could happen over the next month or so? But you're, you're, the um, the course itself is going to play totally different. And there's going to be several things to keep in mind. Number one, the average temperature in November compared to April in Augusta is about 10 degrees cooler. That means the ball's not going to go as far. So the that's the golf course is going to play extremely long, depending on how they set it up. Um, it's going to play extremely long. Also, you're going to be dealing with no the daylight issues. I don't know what mm-hmm. they're going to do if there's a if there is a playoff because now they've gone to I think it's three holes they do now. That there's no way at on Sunday that they would be able to do that because it'll be it'll be literally dark. So they're going to most likely any playoffs in my opinion would probably have to be done on Monday. Um, and the the other thing that that uh, you have to understand about Augusta is they overseed in the spring, and they usually do that in March, and then they overseed in the fall, and they have a Bermuda that you know during the summer months uh, because of the heat. Well, this because of the overseed, it, the grass may not be as green uh, in November. Like when you're watching the golf course, it may not have the 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 color green may not be quite as green as far as the fairways uh, go and, and the rough goes because, uh, because of that transition. That'll be interesting to see as well. The greens itself should be fine because they have that, they have that, air, that sub-air system underneath where they can control the temperature so they can get the green speeds very consistent to what the fans are used to, to watching on, you know, in April. But um, the, the, uh, the thing that I think that is going to make the biggest difference between a November Masters and an April Masters, and this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing that I don't think we'll ever see, obviously, ever again, and that is that you're going to have a prevailing north wind, and that is going to change mm-hmm. the entire golf course because they don't have a, you don't get a north wind in April, but you do, obviously, in November. And you, you may have right. some frost delay. So that could push things back. And I was reading here, and this is how it's going to change it. Three of the, of the four par fives go north. That means they're going into mm-hmm. the wind. They are going to be playing longer if, there is a, if there's a north wind, especially in the morning. And, but Amen Corner, holes 10, 11, and 12 are going to be downwind. So they're going to play shorter. So number 11 is a brutal hole. It's actually going to play shorter. Number 12, that, that hole is 
it doesn't matter if it's 100 yards or 150 yards is going to play difficult because of where they put the pin, that par three. And number 10 is a difficult um, hole. But people think that number 10 playing downwind is going to be make it easier. It's actually going to make it harder. And that's because you have to curve the ball on that hole. And it's very difficult mm-hmm. to curve a ball when you're hitting downwind. So it's going to be really interesting to see how the golf course changes and how and, and, and with these subtleties. Now, no one can predict the weather. Who knows? It might it might be warmer than normal this November. But if things hold and, and, and kind of goes the way it is every, you know, November, it's the golf course is going to play longer. The golf course is going to be, in my opinion, more difficult. And I don't think you're going to see 12 and 14 under par scores. I think the scores are going to be – I think that, you know, they'll probably more be more in the six to eight range, eight under par range. I do think under par, though. I don't think it'll be like the U.S. Open because I think that they want that. They want the excitement of the birdies and the eagles on Sunday. So I can't wait. It's my favorite event of the year. I can't wait to see um, – to, to watch it in – in November. And I just think fall golf is, is such a great, uh, you know, I love to watch the guys in the morning have a little, little, uh, breath coming out. You know, you can see their breath a little bit. I think it's uh, going to be great for TV. Yeah. And, and I can relate to, to fall golf, uh, of course, being from Canada and, um, you know, one of the things I, I think we'll also see, um, in addition to some of the things that you've mentioned is the ground is going to be, uh, potentially a little bit firmer as well. Uh, not having, again, all things being normal. Um, you know, November, it's cooler temperatures, obviously, in Augusta. And, uh, you know, even though it is in the south, it's it's going to be considerably cooler than what it uh, is uh, even in April. And uh, things might firm up a little bit as well. So the greens might be a little bit harder than they uh, normally would be um, uh, earlier on the season. It'll be hard to see. It's really going to depend on, um, you know, as you said, what the temperature is going to be, if it's if it's going to be, um, you know, a, a little bit cooler than we typically would see uh, or warmer, that's obviously going to factor in. But you're right. The, the north wind is going to uh, change uh, the landscape, if you will, a little bit more. Um, it's going to be a, some advantage on some holes and disadvantage on other holes. Number 12 is an example. You mentioned, you know, your tee shot uh, going downhill or sorry, downwind uh, is going to be a little harder. Um, but one thing that can help a little bit is if you've got the wind coming down and let's say you've overshot the green and now you've got to uh, hit back uh, towards the water, uh, having that downwind might give you a little bit of extra cushion uh, and protection of, of not overshooting again. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of factors that are going to be involved. It'll be interesting to see. And uh, it, it's going to be different. There's no doubt about it. It's going to be different. Uh, one of the other things, too, is in addition to more than likely not having uh, fans there, uh, they are, my understanding is, and I'm sure you've probably heard the same, they're going to be very res- uh, restrictive on media as well. Um, there's not going to be a lot of as much media uh, typically. Um, they're going to be restrictive there uh, as well. So it's, you know, uh, as we know, obviously, after all the rounds, uh, you know, the uh, leaders typically go into uh, the media tent and, and uh, you know, and talk to uh, uh, to the various media outlets about uh, take questions and so forth. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out as well. And uh, it's going to be different. They're not going to have the crowds uh, more you're than right. likely. Uh, you're... Uh, you know, you get holes like 16 and, and holes like 12 and some of the others, even 15 um, and, and so forth. You know, you have, uh, you know, it creates a perfect amphitheater in, in many of the cases. 
and you have some case like 15 where they're overlooking several holes uh, and you know quite often players would actually have to back off a shot because somebody was teeing off uh, you know just over yonder if you will on some of the holes so um, you know it's going to be interesting to see how it plays it's going to be very different I'm sure uh, for a lot of the golfers it's not going to be a typical Augusta National feel um, I think um, our our typical masters so we'll yeah we'll see what happens and uh, we'll see how it plays out. But uh, I, like you, um, you know, I, I miss uh, watching uh, uh, the majors this year. Uh, we, we've been very limited, and uh, it, it would not be a golf season with at least the Masters. So I'm happy that uh, they've made a concession. And um, then they're going to be going back-to-back in April. They'll be coming out That's with the right. 2021 Masters. It's going to so be a quick turnaround. Gonna be, it's, yeah, it's going to be – Yeah. <laughs> So it's going to be whoever be wins, whoever wins is only going to be able to celebrate. And they won't even be able to have, you know, it'll be like four months. They're going to have to pick out their menu really fast uh, for the next year's, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> a dinner. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, typically, of course, uh, the winner from each year uh, gets to pick the, uh, the meal uh, served at the master's dinner. So, uh, yeah, they, they won't have a lot of time to prepare their, uh, their schedule for, for what they want to have on plate. Um, and our, our last question here, John, that I want to uh, bring up is, is really about r- the rules of golf. Um, you know, there's been some changes uh, over the last, uh, in, in fact, 2019, there were a number of the rules that were changed. Some are, were in favor, some were against, you know, depending on which side of the fence you were on. Uh, is there any rules that currently are in play that you can think of um, that, uh, that you would like to change uh, whether it's just a modification or get rid of it altogether, it's it's no longer applicable, what have you. Um, and if so, what would that be? Well, there are. There's two rules uh, in golf that if I were the 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 king of golf for for a day, I I would change. Um, and, and the first is is not even a rule that I actually came up with. Uh, I actually got this idea from Payne Stewart. I heard him say this in an interview. And it made a lot of sense. And I, uh, to this day, believe that the that the, the needs to be changed. And that is that a, if your ball goes into a divot and you are in your own fairway, that should be considered ground under repair. And the reason for that, let's just think about this a second. It's hard enough, first of all, to get people to fix divots. Okay, and a lot of times when when people um, when when people put the sand in or the staff comes in and they and and they're trying to repair that ground and that ground has already been damaged. If your ball goes into a sand divot or your ball goes into a divot where someone has not replaced it and you go to hit your shot, you're going to make that that area even worse. And so any healing of the grass that's gone on. Uh, is going to be destroyed, and now it's going to have to start all over again. And I don't like the idea of of, bad, of that kind of luck. You know, I know there is rubber the green, and if your ball hits a tree and kicks out in the fairway or hits a tree and kicks in the woods, that's kind of par for the course uh, in the game of golf, and those kind of things even out. But I don't like the idea because a lot of times on par fives, especially when you watch on tour, where a lot of these players are laying up in the same areas many times, their ball will, mm-hmm. will will roll into a divot. And I think that you bring into the aspect for the average golfer the aspect of them injuring themselves as well, especially if the ball is in a deep divot. 
Uh, you could yep. injure yourself trying to hit it out of there. I just think it's I just think it's something that it's an easy fix. It's fair to everyone. It doesn't give anyone an advantage. Um, it, you know whether you're a long hitter, short hitter. That would be the first rule change that I that I would make. And I might even say that you could do it no matter where your ball is. If it's in a divot, I, I kind of went back and forth on this with the rough. I feel like if you're in the rough, that should, you should be penalized, you know, and you shouldn't get a chance to take a drop. Um, but I think in the fairway is definitely – that would be one. And the second is is the lost ball rule. Um, and that is – I mean, this, this, this U.S. Open – was the perfect example of what happened to Harris English. Harris English tees off on the final round. He's a couple of shots off the lead. I can't remember exactly. He's right there. Hits his first tee shot. Hits it. Hits it down the left hand side. Hits a tree. Ball goes into the rough. They can't find the ball. Um, think about this. You know, if he was a normal tour event, or with the crowds being there, um, that would never have happened. Well, the tour players have an advantage. I've, you very rarely ever see lost balls in tour events because there's so many people out there that, that someone sees the ball right. and they all kind of hover around it and they know where it is. Well, you and I, when we go out and play a round of golf, we don't have that advantage. There's no one out there really watching us play. And so when <clears throat> I can't tell you how many times I've hit a ball in the rough and can't find it. Now they've changed the rule to where you only have – three minutes to find your ball versus five minutes. My, my rule change would be is if you hit a ball and it's not in a hazard, it's not, it's not out of bounds, it's not in a hazard, and you hit a ball in an area where, you, where it can be agreed upon that my ball was in the rough or, or uh, in the trees or whatever, and you can't find it, um, I don't like the idea of hitting provisionals. Provisionals take time. You have to go get the right. other provisional ball. It's a lot, it takes a lot, a lot of time. Harris English had to get in a golf cart and drive back to the tee, and it basically it delayed the other tee times because they couldn't they couldn't find his golf ball, and and so I just I uh, I had that exact situation happen to me in our section championship, hit the ball down the right side, hit it in the rough, we never found it. My ball was two yards off the fairway, never found the ball, had to drive back had to hit play on in and the group behind me found it and my ball had embedded in the rough. And I said, where was it? He said, it's about two yards off the fairway. I said, we looked there, we just mm -hmm. couldn't find it. And he found my ball. So that's, I think we all, we all have been through that. It's, you know, making yeah. that walk of shame back to the tee is, is uh, <laughs> it, it bogs up, it bogs up the entire golf course. It's a, it, it's a rule that needs to be changed. We're trying to speed up golf. We're trying to make golf fun. It's difficult enough, and uh, I think that that would be the second change that I would make. Yeah, I, I agree with both those. I think that's great. I think the ground under repair, um, it should be a ruling for, for that because I, you're exactly right on your first, um, your first example because, uh, you know, I, what I try to do and most of the people that I play with, um, you know, we'll go around and we'll see – uh, you know, divots that were not repaired in the fairway, and we'll always make a point if we're if it's near where we're hitting, even if it's not directly in play. If we see one, you know, within close proximity, um, you know, a lot of times my playing partners and that will, you know, fill a couple of them up and 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 um, you know with the uh, with the sand and and whatnot, depending on where you are. Some actually have a a seed that's uh, um, that's in the cart as well, that's in the in the canisters on the side, but. Um, you know, 
it, it to me for for the average player um injury is certainly you know on the forefront that can happen very easily uh for some of our, our amateur players especially some of our senior players and that uh you know getting into a deep divot um but also again you got to think of the greenskeeper um you get a situation where um you know people are not replacing it. somebody's ball goes in there and now somebody takes another swipe and even if they have repaired it you've now unrepaired it um and created a whole new uh snare that the greenskeeper uh you know has to go out there and and his crew has to go out and take care of uh, these uh, problem areas again and a lot of times you end up getting dead spots uh that uh, because it's getting so much traffic. So I, I would agree with that. And then also, um, you know, with, with a, a lost ball, um, you know, as I was pointing out earlier, you know, being in Canada and certainly up in the Northeast where you, you get a lot of uh, fall weather and leaves dropping. I mean, I've, I've been in situations personally where I've hit it dead center in the fairway. I know I'm in the fairway and, um, you know, they do try to keep them clean. Uh, you know, in the mornings they'll come in a lot of courses with the, with the big fans and they'll, uh, blow the leaves off the fairways and so forth and, and clean them up. But, uh, you know, you get a windy day, they're always blowing across. And I've actually hit balls in the middle of the fairway uh, and not been able to find it. Um, yeah. Just because some leaves bleed. And, and, it, and people think, well, it's crazy, you know. But, no, you, you get, you know, especially up in the northeast and that, you get some of these leaves blowing across and your ball gets there and the leaf blows over, especially some of those big maple leaves. Um, you'd be surprised. Um, yeah. I've, I, I've known many you're people. You're exactly right. Um, and, you know, you're limited on how long you can take to look for it. And then, like you said, you, you've now got to, you know, hit a provisional or, uh, you know, or, or other options. But, um, you know, it just slows things up. And uh, I, I agree. I think that they need to, uh, to make some changes. And I think, you know, if they don't want to do it on the professional level, I understand. Um, but certainly at the amateur level or the recreational golfer, I think uh, those are some good examples that would certainly help the overall game and, and certainly make life a little bit easier for some of the, the golf courses as well. So I, I agree. And, and, um, and Ted, they oh, did that. They did it with the out of bounds, you know, with out of bounds. Now, if you hit the ball out of bounds, you can actually go up to where the ball crossed the, uh, you know, out of bounds line and you can actually drop it. You can go out in the fairway actually, and then drop it at that same, you know, no closer to the hole. Um, and I, so, and, and take a drop and then, and that way you don't have to go back to the tee. Uh, you know, and I think that, I think that w- when you lose a ball and, and every time I go out and play in a recreational round of golf, someone is losing a ball when they, when it shouldn't be lost. It is it, just, we, you don't have, you know, it's a very difficult to, sometimes to find golf balls, especially in the rough when the, if the rough is high and um, and so I just think that if you were if I hit a ball in the rough, okay, I've I've hit one shot. I'll take a one shot penalty because I lost my ball, but I'm going to drop it where yeah. we think the ball was, and then we just go on from there. And I think that that would be it would speed up the game, and and I think people yeah. do it anyway. I very rarely see casual golfers going sure. back to the tee, but when you play in tournaments, local tournaments and stuff. You you do and it uh, man it is a nightmare for those people behind you and it's just uh, it just really slows yeah, things it, down. It, yeah, it slows up. It backs the groups up and and stuff. And, and I'm like you. I see a lot of amateur golfers that that really don't adhere to that rule 100 percent most of the time, just because again they they want to keep things sped up and and whatnot. But but I, I agree wholeheartedly. And you know the other thing too is you know when you're when you're teeing up on a straight hole. Or uh, hitting a shot on a straight hole, it's a little bit easier. You can keep better track. But if you're hitting a, a you know, on a, a sharp dog leg, you know, whether it be left or right, 
um, a lot of times you're going around a corner and, and maybe you're hitting over some trees or you're you know drawing or, or fading the ball around, and sometimes it's very easy to lose sight. Um, even when you're looking through the trees, sometimes it gets out of your vision for a moment and you're kind of guessing when you get up there. Um, so, you know, definitely it creates some, some issues there. So I, I agree with that. I think those, those would be some good rule changes to make. Um, uh, again, uh, it would make it a little, life a little bit easier for recreational golfers and obviously I think for the rule officials as well and, um, you know, to, uh, to keep the play up, uh, you know, the marshals rather, uh, keeping, uh, you know, seeing that the play is, is keeping up to pace um, because they're out there, you know, they're, they're driving around in their carts. They're watching to, to keep the, the pace of play going. And I'm not even talking about in tournaments, but just in regular, uh, everyday, uh, you know, rounds that are being played by, by, uh, our club golfers and so forth. And, um, you know, it would make their life a little easier if, you know, groups aren't backing up two or three deep on a tee because some guy's got to go all, all the way back and hit a provisional. So, um, exactly. you know, I think those are, yeah, those are some great tips and, and certainly a great thing to do. Well, John, we we uh, we managed to carry our own here for an hour. It's hard to believe, but we we did it. And <laughs> I want to thank you for I want to thank you for uh for joining me uh on a special coach's corner tonight. Uh I always enjoy uh having you on the panel and and always having you on the program. And as always, uh I'm going to give you a moment or two to uh number one, let the folks know how they can reach out and if you want to plug your book again and and uh, anything else uh, special that you got coming up that you want to promote, uh, uh, by all means, go ahead. Well, thank you, Ted. Uh, as always, I've, I've enjoyed tonight's show, and I want to thank you for what you do for all of the PGA and all the instructors out there and the people in the golf business. You give us a, a platform for an hour to come on and, and get our word out, and, and uh, we all enjoy it. And I want to thank you again. Um, if, for the listeners out there, if you want to um, get a hold of me, um, the, I'm on really all the social media uh, outlets. If you go to John Decker Golf Instruction, and again, I spell my first name J-O-N, so John Decker Golf Instruction. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, YouTube. I have a bunch of videos now on YouTube and um, that are available to, to for my all my drills and all my instructional stuff is on there. And also, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, my book, Golf Is My Life, uh, Glorifying God Through the Game, it's a, it's a uh, Christian golf book, and it's available on Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, and Walmart.com. You, it comes in hard copy, soft copy, and cover. And um, also, you can uh, download it uh, with, for eBooks as well. Um, and I'm available for public speaking. I'm a public speaker. I do I worked uh, or I've spoken at a lot of churches, uh, golf courses, um, just any kind of junior clinics, anything along those lines. If you're looking for, um, you know, someone to come into your area, do some public speaking, maybe um, do some instructional things. I that's something I would really like to to get going again after the we get you know escape the COVID. And um, hopefully everyone is going to be safe and and is through this time. But uh, Again, Ted, I want to thank you for, for your time. And uh, and also want to mention one last thing I wanted to thank you about is uh, giving me the opportunity to uh, write for Golf Tips Magazine. And I have my feature, Fairways to Heaven, and, and doing the instructional articles. I've really enjoyed that. And I'm really excited about the future of, of uh, where you're going with the magazine, what you're doing, your vision. I'm all on board with it. I'm real excited uh, for what the future has to hold. I appreciate it, John. As always, it's a pleasure having you join me here on the program. 
and uh, I appreciate your input into the magazine. And, and uh, I think, you know, as we navigate through this difficult time right now here in the U.S. and, and literally around the globe, uh, I'm, I'm excited and, and optimistic about 2021. And uh, I'm really particularly excited about really the golf industry, even though we've had some setbacks this season uh, with, with the COVID crisis. Um, golf has, has been blessed in many ways. Uh, with a lot of new people coming to the game. And, uh, you know, we need to be mindful of that and, and uh, you know, really take advantage and, and reach out across the, the aisles, if you will, and, and uh, helping to, to really grow this game. We, you know, we talk about so much uh, over the decades about wanting to grow this game. Well, here's a great opportunity that's been given to us, um, even though it's been through difficult circumstances. I think we need to be uh, mindful of that and, uh, and look at uh, ways that we can help not only bring people to the game, but more importantly, keep them in the game. So, John, thank you for all you do, and, and uh, keep doing the great work with the magazine, and, uh, and we're looking forward to some other things in the future as well. So God bless, my friend, and I will, uh, I will talk to you soon. Thanks again, Ted. All right. Take care. All right. That was uh, PJ instructor John Decker, uh, my very special guest, on a special Coach's Corner panel th- this evening. Uh, just John and I, we talked about some different things, and uh, – I want to uh, thank him again for all that he does to uh, help uh, you folks out there get a little bit better each and every day as you navigate the fairways. All right, I'm excited to bring on um, my very special guest this evening, uh, Richard uh, or Dick Zokel. Uh, we have a, a couple of things in common. We obviously have a love of the game, uh, but we're also both Canadians. Uh, Richard, of course, uh, was born in British Columbia, and he's a Canadian professional golfer who played uh, not only on the Canadian Tour, but uh, on the PGA Tour, as well as uh, the Nationwide Tour. And he's also uh, founder and developer of MindTrack Golf, a mobile app. And we're going to talk about that uh, and many other things. Uh, but please welcome my very special guest this evening, uh, Dick Zokol. Good evening, Dick, and how are you? Hi, Ted. I'm doing very well. I, I did not know you were Canadian. What part of Canada are you from? Ooh. I was born in Hamilton, Ontario, and lived most of my life in uh, the Toronto and uh, Hamilton corridor, if you will. And, and I had, when I was in the Navy back in the early 80s, I had a brief stint out in Halifax, Nova Scotia, but pretty much in, mm-hmm. in the central part of, uh, of Canada. So we, we have that wonderful. in Wonderful. Well, thank you. Good. Wonderful. Thank you for inviting me to be on your show today. Well, I appreciate it, and I have... Uh, watched you for many years uh, play all over the place uh, on the tour, and obviously many times I'd been at uh, Glen Abbey and, and watched uh, you play in the uh, Canadian Open uh, over the years, and uh, I know you've, uh, you've had some great uh, moments on tour. What I want to do first, uh, obviously I, I know we want to talk about uh, Mind Track, and we're going to get to that in a little bit, but what I'd like to do for a lot of folks, is we get a lot of new listeners uh, coming onto the program and just to give you them a little bit more background on you and, and so forth. Um, but one of the questions I want to ask you first, uh, right out of the gate, is is why golf? Um, what drew you to the game of golf? And who were who the, the who's and the what's and the where's that sort of introduced you to the game? Yes, well, I guess I was one of those fortunate uh, uh, family members where my parents played golf and introduced me to the game. My father was an, was an avid golfer. He was a dentist. And uh, we moved to a portion of Vancouver where I, we lived across the street from the Marine Drive Golf Club. 
And uh, in 1970, I got a junior membership once I was able to reach the age of 12 years old. And, and through that, during that time, I, I liked to go to the golf course in Caddy and, and, mm-hmm. and Caddy every Saturday and Sunday to put a few bucks in my pocket. And, uh, and I started playing golf, and I was a good athlete, played lots of, uh, lots of sports, uh, was a pitcher in baseball and soccer. It wasn't a hockey player. We didn't, you know, there wasn't a lot of, you know, youth, youthful soccer was, was the game in, <laughs> in, in Vancouver when I was a boy. It was hockey everywhere else in Canada. So golf and soccer were what I played. And, and then I, I, I became very, well, actually, when I was about 14, I, I, I was one of those troubled kids where I got into a lot of trouble, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, yeah. I must say. And I, uh, my I, father, I hear you. Who, I hear you. Uh, <laughs> I think there's a lot of people can relate, relate to that. And my father right. came down on me pretty hard. And he said, look, you know, you can't hang around those kids anymore. I mean, like we were getting into some pretty good trouble. And uh, we were right. just going down the wrong path. And, he, and he, he said to me, he says, look, the only place you'd go to is that golf course. So that's why I spent a lot of time at the golf course. At that time, we were down there early in the morning and until in the dark, we'd be hitting balls and practicing and, um, and got very um, engaged. And it came from a, you know, that, that golf course was brought, produced a lot of champions uh, historically. And uh, mm-hmm. I just fell in love with the independence of the game. It was all you and uh, both in your success and your failures. So I love golf because of that. Yeah, and it's interesting. You know, I like you, I played a lot of different sports growing up in baseball and football and soccer. And, of course, I did play hockey. Um, you know, we had uh, – I was a, a Maple Leaf fan uh, when they were playing well, and then I was a Canadian fan when they weren't playing well. Uh, so I kind of went back and forth uh, – uh, you know, it, it just depends. I, I liked both teams. I, I had a tough time. Uh, it actually depended on who I got tickets for. If I got tickets to Maple Leaf Gardens when they still had the gardens uh, up and running, uh, I, uh, I would go to the Leaf games. And when I would visit uh, Quebec, of mm-hmm. course, I would try to get in to uh, see the Canadians. But, uh, you know, I, I just I loved hockey growing up and it was a great sport. But uh, golf was was, um, you know, was my number one sport. And I just loved playing it um, uh, more so than anything else. So you, you transitioned into uh, learning the game. You, you got to understand it as a junior. What was your earliest recon, uh, recognition, uh, excuse me, recognition, if you will, or recollection of when you started to see um, that you had talent that you could play at a higher level? When was that turning point? Um, it was it was it was in high school. Um, I made the golf team when I was in grade eight, and uh, and I you know my I got pulled into golf when when one of the local uh, pros in Vancouver asked me to caddy for him in, in a tournament, and I and 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 I was about to start pitching for uh, what was called the local area Caresdale Little League in the Little League Championships right. in in Vancouver, and. And it just when I got a chance to caddy for a professional in a BC Open, I, it it, uh, it just I just wanted to be around professional golf, and it, it pulled me into right. it that way. And through at high school, I you know I found out that there is this thing called golf scholarships or down to, into the NCAA, mm-hmm. and I, I wanted to yep. do that, so I aspired to do that. Then there was this guy named Jim Melford from Vancouver who went down to Brigham Young University. I didn't know Jim. He was four years older than me at the time. And he'd come back and I noticed how, you know, he was the best player in British Columbia and in and, and, and Canada at the time. And he'd come back every year after BYU 
and I, I just it was unbelievable how much he got better. And I went, wow, that's that's what I want to do. Yeah. And and so I remember in my grade twelve year, my last year of high school, I wrote Carl Tucker a letter. And BYU was one of the best, you know, programs in the in the NCAA at the time. And I had no yep. idea. My naivety was was just very high. <laughs> he, he said, "No, we're not interested in you." <clears throat> and then that summer, after I graduated high school, I got paired with Melford. Melford just won the Canadian Amateur a couple times this time. He won the Western Amateur. Mm-hmm. He was the second team all, first team All American, I believe, and he was ready to go pro. And he came back, and uh, and I got paired with him in, a, in the BC Amateur Championship, and I was. I played pretty good. I was leading the tournament and almost won the tournament. And he, he called Carl Tucker and said, uh, you know, this Zokal kid, he, you know, he's a little rough, but uh, you may, <laughs> he may have something there. And so he, I went down there and I drove down. I asked my father for the keys and he says, where are you going? I said, Provo, Utah. And he, and I drove down and I guess that was, a, it, it, it impressed him enough where he said, you know, I can put you, I can't give you any grant and aid. And I said, okay, my father can handle that. And I was fortunate to be that way, to be you know, gifted that way. Right. He said, tell you what I'm going to do is I'm going to put you in the dorm room with this kid named Bobby Clampett. And I said, yeah, you can put me in with Jethro or Ellie May. It doesn't matter. I don't care. I didn't know who, I didn't know he, who he was, how good right. he was. And, right. then, and, right. you know, and, and then Bobby was a legend. He was the first team All-American. And he won his first three uh, college tournament so I was I was around that atmosphere at BYU and as a walk-on in my freshman year and Clampett turned pro um, our senior year and we had Keith Clearwater and Rick Fair and Dave DeSantis and John Bodenheimer who's you know running the USGA mm-hmm. and uh, we, we, we went into that final year at BYU as ranked number one we never lost our ranking and captain of the team and we won the NCAA at Stanford in 1981 and um, it was just a terrific collegiate experience for me and um, and uh, all those guys are close friends to this day and at some point down the road you decided to turn pro and as I mentioned uh, in the opening uh, comments uh, you ventured out on the Canadian tour and ultimately on the PGA tour as well um, tell us just a little bit, uh, just give us maybe some of the highlights there, um, of your play and, and, yeah. um, and what you learned, yeah, what you learned while you were out on tour, what, what really resonated with you? Sure. Well, you know, so I, I got through, we won the NCAA's spring of 1981. Then I went and I won the, uh, Canadian amateur in 1981. Then I, I didn't play the Canadian tour. I went right to the qualifying school and got my mm-hmm. card. In, in, in the fall of 1981, so at the start of 1982, I was a rookie, and, and you know, and I got to be honest with you, I, I wasn't ready, but I, you know, got through the qualifying school. It was the last year of Monday qualifying, and it was difficult. I, I did not feel comfortable out there. I didn't feel like I was good enough, and I had some, um, you know, challenges. And I went through the first half of the year, and um, and I was, I was really struggling to make a cut. I couldn't make any cuts. And my anxiety, right. even though I was learning, you know, you, you get thrown in that in, in that environment of the PGA Tour, and just to survive, you learn, you learn quickly, and and yep. uh, and then um, it was halfway through the year, 1982, my rookie year, when I decided that I ha- I knew I was playing well, I was getting ahead of myself and getting you know way too anxious, and I knew if I could just calm down, I I would um, I, I could play a lot better than I was. So I, I discovered this thing called the Walkman, and um, and and I mm-hmm. said to myself, "Why don't you just listen to music 
as a way of distraction be, uh, from your hyperactive mind. And, uh, and I never did it in a practice round, never thought of it. But in the first round of the Greater Milwaukee Open in 1982, I teed off and, uh, and I slapped this, thing, this Walkman on and I'd take it off, hit the shot. And before, before that ball would even land, I'd have that Walkman back on and on my head and I'm, <laughs> I'm listening to, you know, rock and roll and, and, and the Eagles right. and all that kind of stuff. And I, I tell you what, Ted, I mean, I got one under, two under, three under, four under. I'm, I'm coming down the last hole. I'm seven under par leading the tournament. And I am just calmer than a cucumber. And, and this, this, you know, listening in, to music just calmed me down and allowed me to perform. And so I come in, shoot 65. I'm leading the tournament. The PGA Tour officials surround me when I come in. They go, what are you doing? I said, I'm listening to music. And he said, you sure it's music? Because if you're listening to any golf instructions, we're going to have to disqualify you. <laughs> in fact, in fact, we got to call the USGA. We don't know this is, if this is legal or not. And I'm going, oh, my God, I just, you know, I shoot 65, and I'm thinking <laughs> I'm going to get disqualified. And, and so they can say, no, you're, you're okay. You can do that. So, you know, the headlines come out, Disco Dick leads open. And I led the tournament right. the first round, the second round, the third round, and all the way up to four holes to go in that tournament. Calvin Pete went on to win it, and I had a great tournament. But it just, at that point, it absolutely enlightened me that this game that I'm playing, golf for a living, is, is very psychological because if something, you know, uh, as, 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 uh, such as music calmed me down and allowed me, it did, you know, that, that's, that's very interesting. So from that point forward, I really started to dive in. And through the 80s, Jim Nelford, uh, who, uh, as I mentioned before, went to BYU, he got on the tour four years before me. We were buddies, and, and we started traveling with some sports psychologists. Dr. Richard Lanetto from the University of Guelph, mm -hmm. a psychology professor yep. who, who worked on bio uh, biofeedback at the time and uh, and um, it was delightful stuff and so that whole psychological aspect was something that was very important you know it's interesting and, and by the way um, I'm old enough to remember I remember um, seeing some of those headlines uh, about you wearing <laughs> that uh, that Walkman so yeah I, re I remember that and um, uh, you know it, it, it's interesting you know when you look back on your career and you look back at some of the things uh, some of the key moments, um, you know, just by happenstance, you were, you know, you slapped on the Walkman, like you said, to, to try to help with some of the anxiety and some of the stress. And ultimately, mm -hmm. it ended up helping your golf game. Uh, so little did you know that fast forward uh, a little bit longer, uh, you know, you, uh, you're developed now uh, an app that um, uh, called MindTrack that, uh, that's helped you. But before we get into some of the, the meat and potatoes of it, um, I want to mention something because uh, really sort of things came to light for you in 2000 at the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach. Uh, you talked about at that time mm -hmm. sort of a light that turned on, if you will, and, and it was sort of a, a breakthrough moment for you. Um, what happened? What, what, what did you discover, if you will, that changed how you played from that point on? What was it that really sort of came to light? Well, the, you know, you, there are ebbs and flows on, on the tour in the, the 22 years that I played. In, in 19, early 90s, 1992, I won twice. And, 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 and after winning, I fell into a, a bit of a rabbit hole. And, you know, mm. you know, once I won on the P, or a couple times on the PGA Tour, that I started to defend that. I wanted to, you know, I was very proud of the fact that I'd won on the PGA Tour. And it got into my head a little bit. And, and I went downhill mm. from there. 
you know, trying to protect my position. I guess it was my ego. And then in the latter right. part of the 90s, I was, you know, diving into uh, when, you know, when Bob Rotella came out with uh, his book, uh, which was such a, it was just such a, a enlightening moment for a lot of golfers. I, I being one of those, when you discovered that, you know, when you discovered the concept of the past, the present, and the future. And I went, oh my God, that's just fantastic. That's what I do. I get, I, I constantly get ahead of myself. I'm thinking of the score before I, or the result before I do the shot and, and, and it causes anxiety mm-hmm. and it dis- disrupts me. So in the latter part of the nineties, I said, in order to access the present moment, we all golfers fall victim of wanting the result, and I think it's a part of our 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 our, our culture. We you know instantaneous gratification. We want the result. Yep. And and I know that I knew that uh, I had to create a different scoring system because if my attention, like any other golfers, is on the result, it it, it produces anxiety. So I started the system in 1999, and I started putting my attention on what I call their two key performance markers of every shot. And, and, and they are your ability, and this is rendered down to its simplest form, that your ability mm. to play or hit a shot is based on your ability to assess the shot, like, the, you know, assessing the shot, the yardage, the lie, right. the wind, you know, the stance, how you're playing, and you've got to pick a club, and you just assess the shot, and then how well you execute that shot uh, that you assess. And if you do both these, those things well, your performance and you, what happens is you start to, you learn and condition yourself to detach emotionally from the results and you shift your attentional focus from the results on then onto your, onto your KPMs, your key performance markers. So I started doing this in 1999. I started to get really good at it and I was, it was helping me uh, alleviate a lot of anxiety. So, and, and, and um, so in 2000, I started, I was, even though I wasn't back on the tour, I was trying to get, trying to get back on the tour and so I qualified for the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach, and uh, and I make the cut, and I'm struggling a little bit. And in uh, the third round, I have a poor round. And I'm going, come on, this is it's Sunday, and it's Pebble Beach. It's you know, yeah. I love U.S. Open. The Tiger's doing his thing. So I go out there, and on the front nine, I shoot 30 on the front nine, and I'm all I'm doing is focusing on my key performance markers, and I'm getting really good at it. It's very simple. And my caddy says to me, and I don't know where I'm at, but I'm so into this, I'm detached from the results, the score. And my caddy says to me uh, on the 10th hole, and this is really the aha moment, is he says to me, he says, do you know what you shot? And I went, no, I don't, and I don't care. <laughs> he goes, you shot 30. <laughs> and I said, I still don't care. This is the beauty of it. Right. Even though, right. and I think every, all golfers can relate to the fact that when someone tells you, what, you know, do you know how good you're doing? that it's very disruptive. The aha moment, Ted, was that it didn't bother me when he said it. I still kept my attentional focus on these key performance markers. Shot 69 that day. I think there was only a couple of rounds in the 60s that day and and, uh, kicked Tiger's butt for that front nine on Sunday. (laughs) Um, uh, We won't talk about the seven other nine holes, but but that was the aha moment. And um, then a couple of years, I got back on the tour. It helped me win the PGA Championship, which was a Corn Ferry event uh, in 2002. And then um, by that 2003, I was uh, 43 years old and having some physical challenges and uh, retired from the PGA Tour. It was out. You know, it's interesting because – you know, when you when you see so many amateur, and I know you've played in, in tons of pro-ams, and I'm sure you've witnessed it, 
um, with a lot of the amateur golfers, how much they struggle. Um, you know, they're out in the practice, mm-hmm. they're out in the range, you know, hitting balls and they're not doing too bad. I mean, they're certainly not PGA tour quality, but they're, they're not too bad. And then suddenly they step up to the first tee and it's like the wheels right. fall off the bus. Right. Yeah. Can this, can this, can what you're talking about also apply, even though obviously it's, it's more for when you're uh, actually playing around, but can this sort of, you know, approach, if you will, be used also in practice uh, on the practice tee in, in order to better focus and prepare yourself for when you do get out in the golf course? Well, the, 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 the model that you have to kind of understand is in, in the dynamics between the practice range and the uh, golf course. And every golfer makes the common mistake uh, that they think these two things are the same. They're not. They're very different. Right. One matters. Right. One doesn't matter. And, and, and when, you, right. when you understand that and really kind of hold that uh, premise close, then you'll, it, it, you, it, it allows you to discover some things. So, number of practices, you have to practice. But do not assume, and, and I'd say this to Mike Weir all the time, you know, I said just because you're hitting it well on the, on the driving range does not mean you're going to perform well on the golf course. In fact, you'll hear right. lots of stories from PGA Tour players that light it up and they go, God, I was just hitting it awful on, on the range when warming up and I didn't think I was going to... Uh, and, and what basically happens, perhaps, is when you're hitting it well on the, on the range, your expectations goes way up. And now it, it, that adds to the difficulty and anxiety once you get to the golf course. Because keep in mind, if you hit it well on the driving range, it doesn't matter. And that's a very important concept to grab a hold when so when you what i prefer people do with mind track is when you when you collect this data on the golf course because that's when it matters and and that's where you want to look at hitting a golf ball it's kind of like you know you're playing around with your buddies this is a tournament golf and you say you got a mm. you know a putt or a drive and it really matters the money's on the line and, you know, you're getting all amped up and excited and, and, and anxiety's flowing and you just blow it. And, and then you go, give me another ball. And that next ball is so effortless and powerful and, and it split the middle of the fairway or you make it effortlessly. The reason why you do that, or it, it goes in that easy, is because it doesn't matter. That second shot doesn't matter. Right. We've got to get to yep. the, the, the whole purpose. So keep and understand that golf is a psychosomatic game. Performance for all golfers even the best players in the world is thought and emotional sensitive. It's very fragile yep. and it's broadly misunderstood and universally misused. So you have to have a very specific protocol um, um, on the golf course. And that's where these KPMs come in. And we introduce this, this concept of putting all your attention on assessing and executing, assessing and executing. Now keep in mind those people that are so down the rabbit hole, these very logical mm-hmm. dominant people who are result oriented, they've conditioned themselves to go down there for a long time. It's going to take harder for them to get out of it and the harder discipline. And, but it's this thought discipline you have to have. It's, it's, it's like, it's like physical fitness discipline. If you, if you want to get your, if you're out of shape and you want to get in shape, you have to do the physical yep. protocol and it's hard work. And if you want to get mentally in shape, you've got to do the mental protocol. And if you don't have any, have a mental protocol, then you're just going to wander around aimlessly. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. 
Um, before we get into uh, more about Mine Track, I want to share uh, just a very quick, uh, funny little story about the going back to the Canadian Open. Um, several years back, um, when they were still playing it at, uh, at Glen Abbey, um, and I'm sure you would probably re- remember the shape of the range, uh, the practice range there. There used to be, um, and I don't know if it was every year, but this one particular year, there was a, a small trailer that they had set up at the back end of the range, uh, away from you know where the crowds were. And I remember John Daly had come up, and you know, of course, how long he was. And after yep. about ten minutes of him ricocheting his golf balls off of that trailer, they finally had to come out and tell him to to basically cut it out. And mm-hmm, he was doing it mm-hmm. on purpose. He, you know, he, first couple he ricocheted mm-hmm. off, and he just kept doing it. And of course, it was getting the fans. And I just remember laughing, you know, because I was at the 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 practice range at the time, and. I mean, that had to be 300-plus yards easily, mm-hmm. and he was, he was ricocheting it off the top. Um, just something yep. I wanted to share, just to show you how long some of these guys are. Um, so let me ask you about, uh, about the app itself. Explain a little bit about the app, and then I want to get into some specific things. So what's in the app? What tools sure. are in the app, let's say from a coach's standpoint or a teacher professional um, how can they utilize this app for their students? Well, this is, the, the, the coaching aspect for this tool is fantastic. We, you, we're we're um, going to be introducing a certification program. So the coaching program or the coaching, it's perfect for coaches because when they, when the, when they get their student to use this, uh, the app, uh, and you enter the app is you enter your data, your club and your your subjective uh, evaluation of your assessment and your execution. And there's three measurements, excellent, satisfactory, and unsatisfactory. And there's emojis that you hit when you do this. And then um, after every round, you get three reports. There's three reports generated when the user finishes 18 whole round. You get a a shot lost and a shot gained uh, report. It's called the scorecard. You get a KPM trend graph. So your KPMs, um, at the, of the round you played today will be um, measured against uh, all your, your key KPMs of the last month once you've established a baseline standard. So there will be a percentage increase or a percentage decrease mm-hmm. of how well you did your KPMs. It's a trend graph. And then on the, the third report, the uh, round summary, where it categorizes full shots, short, uh, you know, the short game, which is pitching, chipping, and bunker shots, and then putting, the two categories of putting, first putt, which is typically a, a lag putt, or not necessarily, but then your second putt. And then you, you, you categorize these, or you, the report shows where your shots lost and shots gained are in relative to each category. So your coach gets these um, automatically these three reports um, uh, emailed to him or her uh, mm-hmm. after every round. And you set up this invitation inside the app. So let's say, Ted, you're having a golf lesson tomorrow with your pro, and, and your pro right. is uh, you plan on working on getting more club head speed because you want to hit as far as Bryson DeChambeau. And, and, and he right. gets your round from today. <laughs> And, and he sees you that you're hemorrhaged away 10 shots around the green because then it's showing the pattern that you're losing a lot. You're hemorrhaging shots because you're not assessing your chipping 
very well or you're putting you're like you don't get the speed of the green so to speak and your assessment of what mm-hmm. that how that ball rolls was so he's they're going to go they're going to take a look at where your deficiencies are your shot lost events mainly because you've hemorrhaged mm-hmm. away so many and then they're they are have the ability to look at this data your key performance marker data and then custom fit um a program that's going to shore up those weaknesses. So it allows the golf coach to teach their method of, 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 of swing technique, but it, it, mm-hmm. but it also allows them to augment their teaching curriculum, their program, and provide a psychological aspect and a deeper looking through uh, the, uh, the mind track window to find out where you're lack, you are lacking in performance on the golf course. One thing we don't want to do, we want to get the data from your key performance marker data on the golf course. Anyone can hit it good on the range, but taking it to the golf course is different. And we want to to isolate out key performance data on the golf course. Now, one of the things that the app does is when you start your round, and this is really important, is you've got to decide, is this round a casual round? Is this round a serious Mm -hmm. round? Like, say you're playing for some money. Or is this a tournament round? Yeah. Because the difference of types of round, and also we have a, a, um, um, a an aspect of the uh, where you're playing a simulated round. We don't want to we don't want to mix simulated rounds with real rounds and, right. and, and, and cross reference that data. That'll uh, it's, it's right. just simulated rounds just are not real. And and I can assure you, and you know exactly what I'm talking about, is that. When, a, when you're in a casual round, the psychological <clears throat> uh, perception of the player is really easy. Now the psychological perception yep. of a serious round changes. And then when you get to the club sure. championship, it really changes and people start to freak out, let alone playing in yep. a, you know, a state amateur or a, or a state open or a, or a PGA Tour event or qualifying school or, or U.S. Open. So those are the things you want to do because you want to learn to really – improve your performance at each level of these types of, uh, of each types of uh, rounds of golf. You, you raised some really interesting points. Um, one of the key points I want to emphasize again, because this is particularly um, uh, good for our listeners, not just, um, you know, the casual players, but um, I get a lot of uh, fellow teach professionals that tune into the broadcast as well. And I like the fact mm-hmm. that they're able to extrapolate the information through this app from their students to be able to put together some customized uh, lesson programs or lesson plans for their student. And that's valuable for the coach um, to get that data essentially in, in, in almost real time, right? Yes. Well, what we're doing is, is, is basically if you incorporate MindTrack Golf, your performance is going to improve. And we, we, we allow the, 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 in, the, the coach, basically what we're doing, we're operationalizing uh, your mind, and, and we're, we're getting the coach and teaching them how to teach it to their students. So now they, 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 they're in their uh, quiver of abilities that they can teach their conventional way on, on how to their swing technique, whatever that may be. They'll pro, they will, should have a program in there that's a physical aspect and a nutritional aspect. But now we're, we're able to deliver this missing component, the psychological aspect of performance that has just been missing, you know, for so long. And I can assure you that the, the, the simplicity of mind track 
it was the formal it was the formula that caught that people used for success, even though they didn't know it 50 years ago. It's the formula for success when players play at their highest level today. And it's going to be the psychological Mm -hmm. formula that people are going to be using to succeed 50 years from now. You hear it all the time. I was in the present moment. I didn't get ahead of myself. You hear all the cliches. Well, this is what Mm -hmm. the protocol of mind track golf does. It, 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 it puts you, it shifts your perception it changes your perspective away from being result-oriented, and it puts your attention on your key performance markers. You want, so you, and, and then you learn, you get um, conditioned to emotionally detach from results. And, and, it, and it's a very, once you get this, it's an extremely powerful sense of feeling. And uh, you can tell your, your performance just skyrockets. Well, and it's also going back to something that you said a little bit earlier on. You know, you talked about in, in your own experience how, um, you know, a lot of times you were thinking about the past and, and uh, not always in the present. And many of our, our club golfers and our amateur golfers, one of the problems, and I always equate this at, like going to the airport, you drag your luggage. Well, a lot of golfers bring their baggage to the golf course of past rounds or, or what happened, as you said, out in the practice tee. You know, they hit some bad shots. Uh, you know, they weren't striping their, their driver as well as they'd like to. Now, all of a sudden, they're carrying all that baggage to the first tee. Exactly. Um, and That's a good point. So, yeah, and, 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 and that's why I always joke with my students. I always say to them, I said, you know, imagine yourself going to the airport. You know, you've got to take that baggage, but then you unload that mm-hmm. baggage, uh, you know, and it goes under, you know, underneath the plane, and, and you don't worry about it. And you focus sure. on the enjoy the flight and so on. Well, it's the same thing in golf. If you're dragging past rounds or – or you know past experiences into your current right. moment, then you're not going to be successful um, in anything you do, exactly. regardless whether it's I golf like, or otherwise. Go ahead. I like that saying, your baggage. Uh, you know, you, you bring psychological baggage, and I think every golfer knows that they're not very good at it, and and they and and, right. and, and that in, and if they improve on it, their game will improve. You know, that's what I did with. I don't know if you knew that I had last year when we were beta testing the program. I went to Golf Canada at the Canadian Open and talked to their uh, uh, their uh, head coach and, and, and CEO Lawrence Applebaum, and I uh, wanted to beta test it with the young the, the three guys on the young pro squad. So uh, Taylor Pendrith and <clears throat> Jared Dutois and, and Hugo Bernard came by. They're in Kelowna playing in the McKenzie Tour, and did uh, I think uh, Taylor had just missed the cut, so. I had these boys in front of me, and I said, look, all you guys are good enough to, to, to achieve the highest level of your dreams on the PGA Tour. There's no question about it. You know how good Taylor was. You know, he's a first-team All-American mm-hmm. coming out of Kent State, and, and, and <clears throat> right. he'd been, he'd been, <clears throat> excuse me, he'd been struggling for a few years, had some wrist injuries, and he's overcoming. And I said, look, you guys, you've got all this physical ability to, to win anything you want is what's going to determine whether you succeed or fail in professional golf are the thoughts that run through your mind. And if your belief system, exactly. I said, take a look at Mike Weir. If you, Mike yep. Weir's greatest asset, it's not his, what's the, it's not his, his, his swing. It's his mental no. ability, his belief, his tenacity, his, his, his mindset is what allowed him to be a great champion and then win the Masters. So I said to these young guys, it's the same for you. And, and, if, and I said, if you don't, um, so I've got this app, let's get you guys, it's what it's going to do. It's going to detach you um, from, from results. Cause I know every young, pro 
is consumed with these this baggage, as you call it. I think that's a great term, by yep. the way. And and so Taylor went out. You're, you're welcome. You're welcome to use it, Dick. You're welcome to use it. <laughs> I'm going to. Can I? Uh, yeah. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Baggage. You're I like that. Yeah. Uh, emotion. Thought Go baggage. ahead. So Taylor, <laughs> he gets on this thing, and the next seven weeks, he goes T48, T16, third, win, second, fifth, and then two weeks later, he wins by his second time by eight shots. And now this year, wow. he got him to the Corn Ferry, and he's had four seconds in the last month. He's sitting number two on the Corn Ferry tour. And, and, and Taylor, he says, you know, I mean, keep in mind, he's an extremely talented player. Hits it long, just as long as sure. the big boys out there. And, and, he, mm-hmm. and he said, yes, it, it really helped him. He doesn't, he, get, he, he uh, doesn't get mad at his bad shots anymore, which means he's detaching from results. And he's getting back to the way he thinks when he plays his best. And that is yeah. what this is all about. Mike Weir had the same effect. He says, wow, I, I didn't realize my awareness around the greens had, had, um, had, had gotten diluted. So he, once he sharp, put his attention on it, he sharpened it up and made a huge difference. Well, if you look, you know, Dick, if you look at many of the players over the years, you know, let's go back to, to Nicholas's time. You know, he's famously said, you know, it was, it's the mental game. It's not, a, you know, when you compare his physical game, you know, certainly he was a long ball hitter, um, but he certainly was not the most accurate when you compare it to some of the other players right. on the tour. Um, but his mental prowess was as such exactly what you're talking about. He was being was able to be laser focused to such an extent. And then now more recently, of course, uh, in the last uh, few decades is Tiger Woods. Uh, same thing. Mm-hmm. This is why they went on to win so many tournaments is because and again, Tiger's the same thing. Tiger certainly could hit it long, but I mean, think of how many tournaments he, you know, off the tee, he was, you know, over in the next fairway or he was off in the rough or, you know, whatever. He wasn't putting it in the middle of the fairway every single shot, um, but he mm-hmm. was able to adapt his mental game to such a level. And he obviously didn't help or didn't hurt that he had a great short game to recover with, but it was his mental sure. game that really you know, helped him manage around the golf course. And when you look at players and, and I, I go the opposite side and, and again, I mean, no criticism to anybody, but you look at a Luke Donald, Luke Donald, you know, was a phenomenal ball striker um, mm-hmm. out on tour, mm-hmm. but how many tournaments did he win? Right. You know yeah. what I mean? It, and, 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 and again, it's, I sure do. And that's, that's the problem that a lot of amateurs fall into is they, they spend the majority of their time trying to tighten up, they're hitting games so much that they neglect the mental side of the game. And that's really what you're talking about well, here is you need to, right? Yes. Yes. And, 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 and what you need to, and, and we're, I'm working with the, talking to the PGA of America, Mike O'Donnell, another Canadian fellow who's a senior yep. director of player development for the PGA of America and who, who believes this as, as well. If you, you know, the, the fundamentals of teaching thought, there's this big gap, as I said before, and, and, and if you don't have the proper thought fundamentals, then golfers wander aimlessly all around in their minds. And they, they develop yep. this, um, this uh, baggage. Did I ever tell you about this baggage that happens, Ted? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. that, that you talked about. Uh, and, 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 and they go down the rabbit hole and it gets worse and worse and worse. And then it goes and turns in, into this affliction called the yips. It's where it starts when you're yep. result-oriented and, 
and 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 guys get guys and gals and golfers get down this rabbit hole and now it's really hard for them get to get out so you if you 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 know in getting back to tiger he not only had the best mindset he had he brought a howitzer to a knife fight compared to everyone else physically and but yeah, jack exactly. who you know you know jack had a, a better game than anyone else but it was no different than tom weiskopf and 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 no. so forth but his mind was better than weiskopf and and and, yep. and 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 getting comfortable. So the whole aspect, and this is where we believe we're going into uncontested market space in, in the industry, is no one, you know, and, and sure there there's a bunch of there's a lot of sports psychologists there saying, Yeah, yeah, you gotta get into the present moment. Everyone knows that. You you know, learn to meditate, do this, but <clears throat> they don't offer uh, a system, a method, a mechanism, uh, an antidote to uh mental uh, fitness. And this is what right. we're doing. This mental fitness in its simplest form. Um, like I, I believe this is uh, what Jordan Spieth is, is struggling with his, his expectations right. are up there. His anxiety is going up and it's unsettling and he can't settle down. And, and you, the only way to settle down is to access the present moment. And what our app does is when you do this protocol, without you even knowing it, it, it puts you into the present moment. Keep in mind, you have to detach emotionally because if your thoughts are constantly on the result, oh, I've got to make this shot or I've got to make this putt, and you continually yep. do it, it's going to take your emotions down. They're going to be so conditioned that, you know, anytime you get in those situations, you're going to come unglued. You're going to fail, and you're going to compound the problem, and then you will head down the road to the yips, I can assure you, and, yep. and, and you've got well, to learn because the real empowering thing is learning to detach from it. Yeah, and, and I mean, you know, and again, I, I mean, no disrespect to, to any players I mentioned, but look at Ian Baker Finch is a good example of that. You know, he mm-hmm. had a phenomenal career, great was example. a great player, but, you know, you know, all of a sudden, it just, again, the wheels sort of fell off the bus. Um, you know, one of the other things, too, that I think that a lot of um, amateur players bring to, to the course, and, and you know this as a tour pro, you know, when you, when you line up a hole, when you're standing up at the tee and you're looking out at the hole, you're picking out your target. What many amateurs fall into the trap is they see the bunker, you know, the fairway bunker over here, there's a water hazard over here, there's this over here. Mm-hmm. They're looking at all the negatives. So right away, they've set themselves up, in, in my opinion, they've set themselves up for failure. And right. most of the, you know, PGA or LPGA pros, you know, at that level, they're doing the complete opposite. They're saying, okay, where's my target? Mm-hmm. Where do I yep. want to put position myself, uh, you know, for the next shot? They're thinking, you know, the next shot mm-hmm. ahead, I want to get myself in that position. They don't care about the trouble. If they happen to go into the trouble, they'll deal with it. And this is something that mm-hmm. amateurs have really, really struggled with. And it sounds to me that Mind Track is a great way of helping them to focus on what they need to focus and not what they don't know want to focus on. Would I be correct in that? Bang on. That's exactly. So I, I'm just going to go back to what I just said. So let's take that amateur that, you know, if you've got, uh, say you've got uh, water left and OB right, and, and you're mm-hmm. standing on, you know, you're, you're going to hit your, and I say this in my videos uh, at our website at mindtrackgolf.com, is um, is that your your you know your buddy's hitting? You're going to hit in about 30 seconds, but you're looking at the OB, or you see your buddy who hit, he goes OB, 
you're, and you step up there and you're projecting forward what may or may not happen, that you may hit it out of bounds or hit it in the water. That's projecting forward. You're not in the present when you're doing that. You're projecting to the result of that shot. That stimulates anxiety and, it's, and it, it increases your chances to make an un, a horrible execution. And that whole thing, yep. that's what you're right, that Ted, you get. That's what getting ahead of yourself is, what may or may not happen. And it's the same thing. And if you happen to be playing well and get it on, you know, you're playing really well relative to par, and then you project forward. Well, if I par in, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. then I, I may shoot my best score. That's projecting forward. I call that thought sharing. So you're changing, like, mm-hmm. like the air, uh, uh, wind shear on an airplane. If you change drastically mm-hmm. the wind lift on the plane, that plane's going to drop out of the sky. If you tra- change drastically the type of thought that caused you to perform to a thought that collapses you, you're going to collapse. That's what happens to everyone. And, you need, and if you don't have a specific protocol in each situation that you can rely on and go to, you're going to just repeat these mistakes over and over and again, and we call this golf insanity. Well, and this is why – and you know this to be true, what I'm about to say. This is why handicaps have not come down in many decades. Right. <clears throat> They've pretty much stagnated. Right. And, it, and despite all of the, the technology that's out there and, and teaching tools that have been made available um, to make us right. swing a lot better and make us look a little prettier out there on the, on the practice tee and out in the golf course, we're still not shooting lower scores. So it can't yeah, be the equipment right, right. because they've, they've – They've, they've lengthened that to death to the point now they're, you know, there's discussions about ratcheting that back. You know, we, we've got the latest mm-hmm. and greatest technology out there and simulators out there to, to get us grooving our, our great swings. So why aren't we scoring better, uh, you know, better out there in the golf course? And the only explanation is we're playing the wrong song in the head, and that's the way I look at it. You're right. I think, yeah, absolutely. And I've, I've been, you know, and that's what mind track is, 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 you know, we believe that the market, uh, the the product market fit is perfect. We believe that there's there's this massive gap. Uh, I, I I went through my whole career trying to improve my psychological side, and it made a difference. And and I think it's a common problem out there, even for the best players in the world. You're talking to, I mean, look at what yep. Rory McIlroy's talking about earlier this season. He's talking about that how he's had this discovery where he he you know his score doesn't define who he is. Those are all discoveries that most all professionals have to go through. And, and, and with Rory's expectation, his own, and what the, his sponsors put upon him and his whole team, you know, he's got the world on his shoulders, sure. and if he doesn't perform, so he's got to get his head straight. And this is the problem that Jordan Spieth is running into now. Jordan's a yeah. very fine player, obviously, and he's a very responsible person and he's a very good person but if you don't get your thoughts in the proper perspective you're going to run into a, a, a real tough battle and, and and this goes for golf this goes for life it goes for everything yep. off the golf course as well you've got if you true success in everything ted is is, is yep. you achieve it once you learn to detach from the results well i've said for for as far back as i can remember um dick that golf mimics life and vice versa in so many ways, mm-hmm. unlike any other game or sport out there. Um, and, you know, you're, you're, you're out there on your own and you're, 
you know, you're rising to the challenge and facing whatever, you know, mountains or obstacles that may be in your way. And it's entirely up to you. There's nobody else there uh, but you. And if you're not got your, your mental game prepared, not just while you're out there, but even before you get out there, if you're not in the right mindset getting on the golf mm-hmm. course, again, you're, you're, you're sort of falling behind. And I, I really like what, what you've done with this app, and, I, and I'm excited for you as, as um, you know, the, the um, founder and, and, um, and uh, you know, what you guys are, are, are looking at doing. And I know that it's, I, I know it's currently available in an iOS version, you know, for, for iPhone and iPads and that. Is it also available mm-hmm. for Android? Uh, it is available for Android as well? No, no, it's not. So right now it's, it's free. You can download it for free on okay. the App Store. You can go to our website at uh, mindtrackgolf.com and, and connect to the App Store. So we're basically beta testing it in the market. We, we've had a lot of success with it in our first month and a half already. So what we're going to do is we're going to – and also to the first, first 500 people that download it and play 10 rounds will become founding members of Mindtrack Golf, and they will always have it for free. So over the winter time, we're gonna we're going to figure out whether this is going to be a monthly subscription business model, or if we're going to just do a data play, and then we got to build a, mm-hmm. a we're got to build an Android product, and then we got to get it uh, our API, which is our golf course data connections all over the globe, because right now it's just in Canada and the United States and and Australia. Right. Then we got to put it into all the languages and open up those markets and uh, and grow this thing. So we'll be we're going to find out whether this thing's going to be into, um, you know, a, a, always be a free product next uh, next season, and uh, but we'll definitely have an Android product uh, next year as, uh, in addition to our iOS product. That's fantastic. Um, well, just on a side note, um, I when I had my my earlier guest on John, who's a, a good friend of mine, and he's involved with uh, my magazine. Earlier this year, I purchased Golf Tips uh, magazine, who I'm sure you might be familiar with. It's been around for a long time. Yes. And the reason why the reason why I mention that is um, my last issue for this season uh, includes our holiday gift guide. And one of the products um, that is going to be featured in the gift guide is your MindTrack mobile app. So I just wanted well, to share that with you. you. That's going to be thank you. Yeah, that's that's going to be yeah. You're welcome. That's going to be coming out here. Uh, a little bit later, I'll be hitting newsstands, I believe, around the end of this month. Um, so it'll give uh, folks a chance to uh, uh, to kind of get a sneak peek and, and learn a little bit of information. And then also they can uh, head back to your website to get a little bit further uh, detail. But uh, that is going to be um, listed in our, our gift guide, if you will, uh, for Golf Tips Magazine uh, for our, our issue coming up in about a month's time. So I just want to share that with you and um, thought I would uh, would give you the heads up. Wonderful, wonderful. I'm very excited about that. Appreciate that. And uh, yeah, let's stay in touch. And uh, and uh, we'll. I'll, I'll, uh, anytime you want to chat, we'd be happy to give you updates on where MindTrack is as a company. And you know, we think that these companies that are, you know, and, and you know, we're going to be talking to all the equipment companies as well because one of the mm-hmm. things that I'm a strong believer in, the the most important piece of equipment in golf is not you won't find it in your golf bag. It's 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 your mind. I couldn't agree more. That's the that's the most important club in the bag, um, as it were. And and I, I couldn't agree more. And I think as more 
yeah, I think as more people get exposed to um, to mind track and and understand what's really behind it and how it's going to benefit them, I think they're going to start to see. Um, literally, they're going to see their game improve. And I'm not just saying that um, because I know there's a lot of products that claim that. But the truth of the matter is, many of the products that we see out on the market, whether it be digital products or whether it be physical products, really focus on the other parts of the game, uh, which certainly need mm-hmm. help too. Um, but that's sure. not really the most important part because you can have the prettiest swing and the best swing out on tour. Uh, but if you're you're not mentally sharp and you're not focused on what you need to be, um, then you're not going to be racking up the wins. So, um, Dick, exactly. I want to thank you for for, and- for joining me, and I want to give you just a quick. Uh, another moment or two if you want to let the folks know where they can go to get more information uh, about MindTrack and is it available now for download? Yes. Yeah, it, it, we, we, it's available right now. Just go to the, the App Store, punch in MindTrack and you'll pop up. It's free and uh, go ahead and use it and uh, we, can't, we, just, we're, we can't wait to get these coaches and using, using the tool so it can augment their business. It'll just take them to the next level. So, uh, and uh, our website again is mindtrackgolf.com. There's videos that explain. There's four splash videos. One that explains what Mindtrack is, how to use the app. It talks about key performance markers and how they work, and also how we do our shots lost and shot gained events, and how you punch them into the app uh, on, on each hole. Perfect. Well, again, Dick, I want to thank you very much for joining me this evening on Golf Talk Live. It's been a pleasure for a couple of reasons. Uh, I've been a big fan of yours for, for many, many years as you played out on the tours. And uh, also being Canadian doesn't hurt either. So uh, thank you for that. And uh, you're welcome back anytime. And uh, much continued success. And I will continue to do my part to, uh, to plug MindTrack uh, Golf uh, along the way as well. But you're welcome to come back on the show anytime you want. Thanks, Ted. Uh, Really nice speaking with you, and uh, look forward to our next time we chat. All right. You have a great evening, and uh, we'll talk real soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. My very special guest, Richard Zokol, a professional golfer and also the founder and developer of MindTrack Golf. And if you go to MindTrackGolf.com, you can get more information there. And currently it's available uh, in an iOS version, which, of course, is for iPad or, or iPhone, uh, any of the Apple products, uh, you can go to uh, the uh, uh, I, uh, Apple Store or iTunes, and you can download it there. You can just uh, type in um, uh, MindTrack, and uh, it'll come up there, and you can download. Currently, it is free, and um, it definitely sounds like it's going to be a great, uh, a great app for the mental side of the game, and I'm very, very excited for, for Richard. Um, so make sure you check that out. I think it's uh, for a great, uh, uh, a great cause, and I think it's also uh, going to help a lot of golfers out there. Uh, once again, I also want to thank uh, John Decker for joining me on the Coach's Corner panel a little bit earlier this evening. Uh, thanks, John, for all that you do. I appreciate it very much, and uh, uh, keep doing the great work out there helping all of your students, and also uh, keep submitting uh, those great articles into Golf Tips magazine. Don't forget, if you want to subscribe to Golf Tips, go to golftipsmag.com. And uh, just to give you the heads up, uh, we made a little bit of a change uh, currently uh, or prior to uh, its current form. uh, We only had either a print version uh, or a print and digital version. Well, now you can get the digital only version of Golf Tips magazine. So you can get now the print version. You get a print and digital version 
or just the digital version. It's available in one-year or two-year subscriptions. Uh, you can check it out there if you go to golftipsmag.com and uh, hit subscribe, and uh, you can subscribe for it, and you will see there on the form that the uh, uh, the digital version, excuse me, is uh, now available in both one-year and two-year subscriptions. Uh, so for those of you that like the digital version only uh, and didn't want to purchase both uh, the hard copy of the magazine and the digital version, you can now get a di- digital version only. It's available now. So. Uh, on that note, once again, thanks to John Decker and thanks to my very special guest, uh, Richard Zokel, uh, founder and developer of MindTrack Golf, for joining me this evening here on Golf Talk Live. I will see you next week with another Coach's Corner panel and another great guest. Hope you'll join me. Thanks for listening to this evening's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. Remember to tune in each week at blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live. If you can't join us live, check out the on-demand section for previously aired broadcasts or listen on any of the following social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course, Spotify. To get updates on future shows and upcoming guests, be sure to visit the show's Facebook page, Golf Talk Live Blog. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO. Remember to join me live each week for another great broadcast of Golf Talk Live. See you next time. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.